and welcome to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. On today's episode, I am actually going to be talking about one of my, uh, we'll call it top five favorite films of all time. I know. I've already actually talked about a few of them, and the reason I hesitate calling this a top five movie for me of all time, and really saying that any movie is a top five movie for me of all time, is because I like a lot of movies. And uh, to peel back the curtain, I'm 34. So I was born in 1984. And that is a lot of movies for me to love just in my lifetime here on planet Earth. The problem is, I really love some classics too. My dad always said I was born in the wrong generation when it came to pop culture, whether it's uh, music or movies or just about anything, sports. You know, I just, I love the old-timey stuff, I guess, but uh, it's really not that old. But there are some things, especially movies, where they're just not made the same anymore. And there are some wonderful things about the new movies, but the one constant, I guess, gripe I could have with modern movies is that it's hard for there to be an original idea, hence all the crappy remakes, and the overuse of CGI While when it's done right, it can really make a movie look wonderful. But when it's not, it just makes it look, well, bad. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And that's what's so great about some of the older movies. The lack of technology made the writers and directors and actors themselves, to me, they had to be more creative in order to portray what they wanted. And like, just for instance, I'm going to list off my top five favorite movies of all time. And this will be the third on that list that I have talked about. Now, this is obviously subject to change because I literally wrote this list down about five minutes ago. This is a list that movies that I enjoy, uh, that have the most rewatch value, and also had a profound impact on me, whether as a kid or even further into my adult years, even as I've become a father. Number one is Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's hands down number one. The other four I'm going to list off the order doesn't really matter to me. Like, it's not two through five. It's just kind of like number two, A, two B, two C, two D. Like, they're all amazing movies. And they're all movies that I cherish as a fan of motion pictures. The way I'm going to list them off is just kind of how I wrote them down. It's not really how I feel about these movies, except for the fifth movie, which is the one I'm going to talk about today. And that's going to lead into the rest of the show. So number one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. In this case, 2A, we could call it, is Jurassic Park. And if you've listened to the Jurassic Park show that I did, you understand why I love that movie so much. Number three is going to be The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis. It's just one of those movies where I can watch it over and over again. It's a classic mid-90s Bruce Willis action flick. But it's sci-fi. It's so well done. The movie holds up so much better than most movies of that era, especially of that ilk with sci-fi action adventure, because the humor is perfect. The action sequences were so well done. It was perfectly cast and written. It's just one of those, for me, perfect movies. I just, I couldn't ask for a better movie. 2C, I guess we'll call it, is actually my favorite animated movie of all time, and that is The Lion King. That movie, it's just, again, it's one of those movies where it had such a a profound effect on me, and I was also lucky enough to see it in 3D on its 20th anniversary, so it was just another one of those movies that just cemented itself as my favorite animated feature. Number five, or number 2D, I think, I'm losing count, is in 1964, we got the perfect musical in Mary Poppins. This movie literally couldn't be better. Like I constantly say on every show, we as an audience got so fortunate 
with the casting and the directing and the writing because when you really look at the history behind this movie and if you've seen um, Saving Mr. Banks and you've seen what Walt Disney went through to try and get this movie into his hands, it really does make you love this movie even more. I'll start with that and then we'll get right into it. So like I said in my opening, 1964 Mary Poppins was released. So you're talking 54 years ago. This movie came out 20 years before I was born. And it's on my list of movies that I love. And it's it's just amazing to me that I could fall in love with a movie that was made, like I said, two decades before I was even put on this earth. The movie itself is just an awe-inspiring tale of having fun. But the, the underlying story of family coming together It's just the stars of the movie, in particular, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. I cannot express enough how much I love the two of them in this movie. I've even been, you know, I I don't want to say put on record because I don't know if I've ever actually said it on recording. But Dick Van Dyke as Bert is definitely one of my favorite castings as a male lead in film history. Dick Van Dyke in general is just one of the best. And of course, the wonderful Julie Andrews. And what was so cool about their casting, and I just want to bring up that Julie Andrews was 29 when this movie was released, and Dick Van Dyke was 39. So you're talking 54 years ago, and they were in their late 20s and late 30s when they were when this movie came out. I guess just because I'm in my 30s and I was born in the 80s, that when I see a movie that's 20 years, you know, 20 years older than I am, and the actors were those ages, I just I guess it's just hard for me to comprehend because age is just funny like that. They're both still so wonderful at their ages. I mean, uh, if you haven't seen Julie Andrews' project that she does on Netflix, it's called Julie's Green Room, and it's uh, her partnering with Netflix and the Jim Henson Company. So it's basically Muppet Puppets, but Julie Andrews runs a theatrical troupe, and the kids that are in it are the puppets, and Julie Andrews and her sidekick Gus are human. But uh, the whole sh- the whole show is about the th- the theatrical arts and musicals and stuff, and it's just this really well done show on Netflix, and I I can't ask you guys enough to check it out. It's called Julie's Green Room, and if you especially have kids, they will absolutely love this show. Um, it's just one of those great like feel good shows that are out right now, and um, I hope it gets uh, another season. Season one was wonderful, and in every show they have a guest appearance from a celebrity in the world of theater or music or acting and like Josh Groban, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, Chris Co- uh, Koffler from Glee. And uh, there's just, again, it's just a really well done show. What was really cool about this movie too, was in 1964, we'll call it, I know it was, it took like two years to make over two years to make, but we'll reference the year it was released uh, just for consistency purposes. 1964, the budget of this movie was around $6 million. Obviously, $6 million in today's world barely gets you gets your foot in the door when it comes to making a movie. It grossed $115 million and was Walt Disney's single biggest grossing movie in about a 20-year span. While those numbers are kind of hard to relate in 2018, I found this really cool website. I think it's called savings.org slash inflation, something like that. Just Google it. But what it does is it calculates the American dollar from one year to the next and the inflation of value. I just thought that was kind of cool since this movie came out so long ago. $6 million 
1964 in 2018 relates to about $47 million. So $47 million still is barely anything to make a really well-produced movie. There are a lot of movies that can be made for that uh, cheap, I guess we'll call it, but usually they're on the B side uh, of movies in today's. Usually most movies are about $100 million plus. So we'll say $47 million in 2018. The gross was worldwide gross was $115 million in 1964. That is uh, calculated to 2018 at $917 million. <laughs> Could you imagine a movie being made for less than $50 million grossing almost a billion? Could you just imagine that? That is absolutely incredible. Because these billion-dollar Disney movies now, especially we'll call it the Marvel and, and um, Star Wars movies that gross a billion dollars, it seems, every movie. I mean, they take almost $200 million in budget to do that. Most take around $200 million, a little less, a little more, depending on the movie. But you're talking a movie that was $47 million in today's calculation at $917 million. That is absolutely ridiculous to think about. And it's actually kind of cool to think about because when you look at the, I guess you would look at the difference of cost to gross. I mean, it would blow everything out of the water in today's world. That's just absolutely incredible. I find that so funny that it like it's you know a quarter of the amount of a of a billion dollar but you know, or grossing movie, but it would still bring in the same amount of money. Obviously, interest and all that stuff would be completely different because do we have the interest for a musical that would cost fifty million dollars? I don't know. I mean, we have Mary Poppins Returns coming out at the end of the year at Christmas, and obviously that movie was made for more than $50 million. Uh, the exact budget numbers aren't out yet, obviously, because it's still too early. We'll see how a musical goes. I know the movie's going to be a massive hit just because you have people like me who absolutely love movies like this, and it's few and far between that we get them. And normally when we do get them, they end up being a Disney animated movie when it comes to, quote, musicals. So getting a live action musical like this and obviously like The Greatest Showman was an incredible movie. And that was the very first show I did for uh, talking movies with Matt was The Greatest Showman. And the impact that that movie had on me, it's just an unbelievable uh, musical. Definitely number two musical for me of all time. I can I can say that Mary Poppins is number one live action musicals. And The Greatest Showman would be number two for me. Uh, same idea. Family being brought together. Just the spectacle of the songs and the way that it was shot. And in Mary Poppins' case, the way it was also animated too. That's what was so cool is that it was live action and animation, which I know hadn't been done very often. So especially in 1964. So the movie was way ahead of its time. And obviously the money that it brought in, it was way ahead of its time. While successful, this movie was not easy to get off the ground. It actually took Walt Disney almost 25 years to buy the rights from author P.L. Travers of the Mary Poppins series. He wanted this movie as far back as 1938, when Disney had yet to produce a live-action movie. They'd only done anim animated features at that point. So he wanted this movie for a very long time, and you can tell how much love and how much want he wanted to make this movie. He even said it's one of the crowning achievements of his career. That's saying something. I mean, Walt Disney's Walt Disney for a reason. And what kind of stinks is that he died two years after this movie was released. Walt died in 1966. And uh, if you're a Disney fanatic like I am, you know what happened as far as the uh, parks. And he died just before a lot of them were finished. And it was just kind of, it was sad. It was sad that he didn't get to see it um, build further and um, grow as much as it has. It's just, it's one of those things where he wanted these things, this movie, as bad as he did. That doesn't necessarily mean that P.L. Travers, who eventually sold the rights to him in the early 60s, 
was overly thrilled with the finished product either. Um, not all authors love the final product. And in this case, P.L. Travers actually hated it. And during the premiere, she broke down in tears and eventually left the movie in tears because she despised the movie so much. Later, she went on record saying that the movie itself was very well done, but she did not like the fact that it was based on one of her books. That's kind of cold. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, you know, it, it's just you can only do so much. She contractually had uh, authority over the script. But I guess the fine print said she didn't have authority over the final product, so they could veer off script, and she had nothing to say. Whoops, probably should have uh, looked into the in the fine print English in those uh, contracts, which unfortunately a lot of people don't, and they can get kind of screwed at the end. In this case, we have the final product that is Mary Poppins, and it actually gained Julie Andrews's first uh, Golden Globe, in this case, for Best Actress in a Leading Role. That's kind of cool. Because we know Julie Andrews's um, career is, well, one of the best out there and a long line of success. We, I, I, I like to talk about how fortunate we are and how lucky we were to have certain actors and actresses and directors get together for certain projects. We really didn't have a lot of luck with this because Walt Disney wanted her. And he wanted her so bad that he was willing to wait for her to accept the role. Because there were a few things going on at that time. Um, a, when she was hired to be Mary Poppins, Julie Andrews was five months pregnant. He said he'd wait, and he did. He waited for her to have the baby, and then they eventually got into production. But she also was up for the leading role in My Fair Lady of Eliza Doolittle, which eventually, we know, went to Audrey Hepburn. And she really wanted the My Fair Lady role. She actually wanted it more than she did Mary Poppins. Walt didn't care. Walt said, fine, take the job for My Fair Lady. We'll wait for you to do Mary Poppins after you're done with My Fair Lady. Well, the role eventually went to Audrey Hepburn anyways. So Audrey Hepburn's My Fair Lady, and then obviously we have Mary Poppins. They both started production around the same time. I just thought that was really cool how gung-ho Walt Disney was to have Julie Andrews play this role. And it just it speaks to the quality of the movie because they did not back down. They uh, Walt did not back down. Walt wanted one person to play this role, and he got her. And you can tell that it was the right decision. While researching for this show, I also kind of found out some neat things about Dick Van Dyke. He actually wasn't supposed to play Mr. Dawes, who is the senior partner at the bank that David Tomlinson's character, Mr. George Banks, works for. And uh, shout out to David Tomlinson. He was perfect. Just an amazing job as Mr. Banks. But Dick Van Dyke being the wonderful actor, especially physical comedian, like it's just even now he's 90 and you see like uh, videos of him dancing and he's all he's still loose and he's still active. It's it's very impressive. He wanted to play the role of Mr. Dawes as well. And he actually was just making people laugh behind the camera. And he goes, man, I wonder what an old man would look like trying to come down steps. And of course, we know that was later used in the famous scene where Jane and Michael are in the bank. They have their tuppins and Mr. Dawes basically tries to take the tuppins from them. And the introduction is him coming down the steps and he's like wobbly and he takes a step and he goes back and he takes a step and it's just Dick Van Dyke portraying this role so well. And what I didn't know about that scene was that Jane and Michael, Mr. Banks's kids, who are played by uh, Karen Dottis and Matthew Garber, they didn't know that Dick Van Dyke was playing Mr. Dawes. They wanted the kids, in this case, the director of the movie and the people in production, wanted the young kids 
to think that he was really an old man about to fall down these steps. So the horrified look that they have on their face and the concerned look on their face is actually genuine. It wasn't until after the scene was finished that they found out that it was Dick Van Dyke. That was just, that's cool. I, I just, I, I, that it just, it makes me appreciate the, again, the behind the scenes stuff on this movie even more. What was also cool is that Dick Van Dyke offered to play the role as Mr. Dawes for free. He wanted no payment for playing a second character in this role. He just really wanted to do it because he, he wanted fun, or he, he thought it would be a fun time and a, a good time to play this extra role. And what a lot of people probably didn't know is that Dick Van Dyke is a wonderful dancer. <laughs> he really is. And this is shown in the Step in Time sequence, which is uh, him and the other chimney sweeps up on the roofs. And the one thing that I didn't know, or I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't know about this movie, but in that case, in that specific sequence is the sequence itself had to be reshot because of a scratch on the physical film reel. That is incredible. The sequence itself took over a week to film. So once they got it down, it was perfect. They had to scrap it and do it again because of a scratch on the film reel. That is just unbelievable to think about in 2018, that a physical scratch on a reel could cause that much problems. It's, and, and again, it's not like they said to heck with it and said, you know, we're just not going to do it. They did it again. History is what it is. It's a wonderful sequence. Like, Come on, laddie, stepping time, stepping time. You know, it's just this awesome dance sequence. And Dick Van Dyke is such a phenomenal dancer. And I know that he actually did more dancing than acting as a young, as a, as a young entertainer. So, I mean, now it doesn't seem too odd that he's such a great dancer. But, you know, most people know him from, you know, later in his career, the Dick Van Dyke show, where he's just a wonderful comedian. Well, he's also a wonderful physical entertainer. So, you know, props to him on the job he did. There's also a bunch of little things I want to go over with this movie. Just kind of little tidbits. It's it, There's no, like, sequence to these or there's no, like, planning to these. These are just things that I read about that I thought would be neat to talk about. P.L. Travers, who wrote the books, actually di disliked the chalk drawing sequence so much that she wanted it removed from the movie. Now, this is the famous sequence where you have Mary Poppins in her beautiful white dress with the red lining and Bert in his rainbow and white suit. And it's when they jump into the chalk painting and they have that awesome racehorse sequence on the merry-go-round horses, the merry-go-round itself. And then you have the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious song. Whew, got through that. It's just, you're sitting here going, she wanted that entire, I mean, literally the entire sequence. There's so many song and dance numbers in that sequence that make it so wonderful. The penguins, Bert dancing with the penguins. I mean, literally some of the most memorable moments of this movie was from that sequence. She wanted it scrapped. And Walt Disney looked at her and said, absolutely not. <laughs> Go Walt. <laughs> Saving the movie. Another neat thing, I didn't know this, and as a um, Disney Parks fanatic and as a uh, annual pass holder, I'm going to have to find this. I don't know if it's still there, but I'm going to have to find it. In Frontierland, there is actually a wooden leg with the word Smith printed on it. And anybody that knows this movie knows what the wooden leg named Smith is. It's just a corny joke that worked in the movie. I need to find this wooden leg named Smith. If you know where it is, please message me on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter and let me know where it is in Frontierland. I need to find this wooden leg. Now, obviously, I could Google it and find it pretty easily, but I want the listeners to help me out. So help me out, guys. I want to find this wooden leg named Smith. Another cool thing was it won five of 13 nominations for the Oscars for that year. No Walt Disney movie has done better since. I mean, it's almost 60 years, and no Walt Disney movie has done better since. Five Oscars of 13 nominations. That is a lot of nominations. 
it shows you the impact that this movie had. And this is the mid-60s. There were a lot of really wonderful movies coming out in the mid-60s, and this thing won five. More info on this movie is that the planning and composing of the music took two and a half years. Just the music. From what I understand, the guys that wrote the music actually had written almost 30 songs for this movie, and they used what they did in the movie. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's, that's insane. It took two and a half years for the planning of the music. And the reason the, this was what they called a slow production for this movie was they were actually making this movie without the rights of the books. They wanted to get ahead of buying the rights, so they started on it, and they just kept making the movie until... Uh, Disney finally got the rights from P.L. Travers. Again, mind blown. They don't do that because, I mean, you're wasting money at this point if it doesn't go through. But I guess Walt was so confident that he would get the rights that they, he said, to heck with it. Let's start making the movie and see what happens. Another thing that I liked was this was actually the first DVD released by the Walt Disney Studios. Just think about that. This was the first DVD, non-VHS or I don't even know when Laserdisc was a thing, but this was the first DVD release from Walt Disney Studios was Mary Poppins. I just thought that was kind of neat, kind of historical release for the Disney company. And uh, one last thing, and then um, I kind of want to talk about what I think of the prospects of a Mary Poppins sequel. So we'll kind of go with that and actually the history behind making sequels for this movie, which obviously didn't happen. The Princess Diaries in 2001, which also co-starred um, Julie Andrews, a lot of the scenes were actually shot on the same soundstage as this movie. And there's actually a plaque in the soundstage that says as much is that Mary Poppins was shot here. Kind of cool that 50 years, 45 at that point, years later, 40 years later, whatever it is, that Julie Andrews was involved in a movie on the same soundstage as Mary Poppins. All right, coming out later this year is Mary Poppins Returns, starring Emily Blunt. If you like even like movies let alone love them like i do you've seen the trailer for this and if you like movies you probably loved what you saw i am the most skeptical person when it comes to sequels and especially in this case when the sequel is as long overdue as it is and that's kind of what i wanted to mention first is walt disney had plans for multiple sequels of mary poppins the problem is pl travers signed a one movie contract for her novels, because back then, series, live action series is, you know, I, 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 I personally, I don't know how prolific they were. So in this case, she refused to sign no matter the money. She didn't want her character to be ruined again, is basically what she said. So we didn't get any Mary Poppins sequels, and who knows, maybe it's for the better, maybe it was for the worse, but I, I'd have to imagine Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins in her heyday back in the 60s and 70s was probably going to be cool. You know, especially as technology with the animated parts of the movie. And who knows, uh, Dick Van Dyke may have been back as Bert. We don't know. It's kind of one of those things where we're really not sure how they could have turned out. But we're finally getting it. This is 20 years real time. This is basically what it is, is 20 years after the setting of the first Mary Poppins movies. Or Mary Poppins movie. The plot is basically in a Depression-era London, a now-grown Jane and Michael Banks, along with Michael's three children are visit, visited by the enigmatic Mary Poppins following a personal loss. Through her unique magical skills and with the aid of her friend Jack, she helps the family rediscover the joy and wonder missing in their lives. Now, the only thing I can think of is that their loss might be Mr. Banks um, passing away. I don't know. That's just a guess from me. 
I like the fact that they're including the Jane and Michael Banks characters, obviously different actors at this point, but I like the fact that they're including them. So there's a, like a familiarity. You're not just starting over with new kids and new family with Mary Poppins. So I like that. And um, Jack is going to be Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I, I can't, I just, he is going to be incredible. But that's not all. We also have Angela Lansbury as, quote, the balloon lady. And Angela Lansbury was obviously in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which is in the same ilk as Mary Poppins. Wow, I think I've used the word ilk twice in this show. Interesting. Anyways, but we are also getting Meryl Streep and Colin Firth. You know, we are getting some really big actors. Dick Van Dyke is coming back as Mr. Dawes Jr., so Mr. Dawes Jr. is actually in the original Mary Poppins. He's one of the underlings that works for Mr. Dawes Sr. at the bank. What's interesting, too, is actually who's directing, who's, uh, which is Rob Marshall. And he's done projects like Into the Woods, Chicago, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, um, Memoirs of a Geisha. So it's he's got some nice crediting. Uh, so I'm excited, but I'm a little nervous but I kind of like, I have faith in the Disney company where they're not going to make this movie unless they absolutely think it's going to be gangbusters. They did, They waited till how long to do Finding Dory? You know, they waited to do Toy Story 3. They've waited to do like all these sequels of their big classic movies and they've paid off. I can't imagine that they're going to make this movie thinking that there is even a sliver of a chance that it is going to fail. And that is kind of why I love Disney. I love the fact that they've bought everything. I don't care. I want good movies. I want successful movies. I want movies where I have confidence putting my money on the table going, I'm going to buy tickets to this. I'm going to buy memorabilia. I'm going to buy my pop doll. I'm going to buy all these different things for these movies because I know they're going to be awesome. I want to buy these things. I want to give this industry money. I want to be a happy fan. I want my kids to grow up with all this stuff. Like I've grown up with all this wonderful, wonderful stuff. I'm so, so excited about this movie. I just, I cannot wait for it. Oh, okay, I need to calm down a little bit. <laughs> I got really amped up there at the end. But uh, I just wanted to say thanks again for listening to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. I really do love doing this and uh, rate and review the show as well. So obviously, I get really pumped for some of these episodes. And you can tell this was one of the ones that I just couldn't wait to talk about. I don't know why it took me now 10 shows to talk about Mary Poppins, but it's kind of one of those things where I am so engrossed in the action adventure genre that I kind of forget about other styles of movies. And it's kind of one of those things where I did The Greatest Showman and I had, I just, I listened back to that episode like a week or two ago and I just had such fun talking about a musical, the emotion that it brought out and like what it meant. And I'm like, I want, kind of want to go back into that. And then I was like, oh my God. Matt, how could you forget about Mary Poppins? How couldn't you talk? How have you not talked about this movie yet? It was an easy decision to talk about this movie. And I really hope you guys enjoyed listening. And all I can say is thank you and have a good one.